Welcome back, everybody. It's time for another episode of Driven by Design. The only show that shows you the future of automotive design and transportation in general with our Driven Transportation Chief, our Designer-in-Chief, Brian Thompson. Hey, Brian. Hello, hello. You can't see me, but I'm dancing around to my own music. <laughs> that is pretty cool. That is a pretty cool opening thing there. I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta give you that. If, if, <laughs> I hope it gets people up and moving. It does. Oh, it gets me up moving. Well, because it's about moving. It's about uh, get what drives you these days here. Well, it, we're we're for those that are listening in the future. This is a podcast we're doing at the end of 2019. Um, we're uh, gonna do like we always do at this time of year at the end of the year. Look back at the uh, at the stories that uh, drove us maybe crazy or drove us to distraction or drove us uh, to be interested and the new frontiers yes and then uh, in the second half we're going to do a two-parter again here we seem to specialize in two-parters on this show we'll take a look at we'll we'll have him put on his uh, Karnak I'm dating myself nobody remembers Johnny Carson and Karnak here his uh, who's a who's a modern equivalent who who predicts the future whoever it is is going to put on his turban and look into his uh, crystal ball and see if he can't uh, do it because not only is he guessing because he's an educated person in this field, he's got the right to guess. He's working on it. That's what's bizarre about your industry. You know, you're working on the future today. So we'll talk about some of that to the extent you can t- share it. But let's start with uh, I wrote up a whole bunch of questions, and I'm sure there's some other ones you want to talk about as well. But let me start off by saying let's look at, uh, <clears throat> to me, two or three of the stories that captivated me that drove me this year one was one that uh, and for those who don't know or uh, have or don't remember i'm a big fan of transportation i grew up in detroit in the belly of the beast my dad was an executive for chrysler corporation everybody on my block every kid i knew at school their father had something to do with the car business. I mean, it was an it's industry town. It was the water we swam in. It was like being up in Hollywood or something. Everybody was immersed in that industry. And at that time, we used to say that not only was it, you know, we, maybe that was just our fantasy, but not only was it a big deal to most people, and particularly to us, what color the car, what was the name of the car, what was coming out. We were really into this stuff, probably even more than the public was. But mm-hmm. 20%, sure. one out of five jobs, they used to say, had something to do with transportation in this country. You think it's still that big? Is, is, is this still an industry that not only drives our imagination, but drives our economy? Well, I mean, the, the industry is, is growing from what, you know, the concept of what a car is, is changing, right? So I don't know statistical numbers, but, you know, you think about every aspect of transportation now that's available and how things are evolving from, you know, ride shares to the sort of litter economies of the little scooters and things like <laughs> the that. The litter economy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the, the throwaway right? version of transportation, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, you see them all over, the little birds and yeah. limes and stuff, but that's kind of, kind of like litter, but they're, you know, that, no, that'll be a great thing to Send see. all your comments to Brian Thompson. I didn't call these little things litter here. You can, <laughs> you can, all the people who are going to get angry and all the PR people that want to be on the show to refute litter that. Economy. I think we coined that on this show. I think you did. Well, you know. <laughs> it's true that we have a litter economy. We just litter the world with these things. We throw them away. It's, it's interesting, though, because I noticed that the bikes... Uh, that, that are, you know, like wheels, they don't get 
uh, tossed about. It's like I think there's something. You said that before, and I, I I never really thought about it, but you're right. When when people mm-hmm. when they get a rental bike, maybe it's because it's bigger and more substantial. But you, you think what? It goes back to our childhood and how important that I bike was to us. When we yeah, we got on a bike when we were kids. We were so excited for Christmas to get a bike, and then when you got done with it, you put the kickstand down, and you left it standing there. And a scooter, you know, you typically would like you know lean it against something or put it in the garage. Yeah, you know, if you had one. But I think there's 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 a sort of a little ritual of putting the kickstand down that is so ingrained in people that they just do it. And so when you see those little wheels bikes, they're standing; they're not thrown over. And so that's you know it's kind of a nice little thing. Well, here's a here's a, a spoiler alert. Uh, we have uh, we haven't confirmed the date, but we confirmed confirmed his appearance uh, this past week. Don DeCostanza, you don't even know this is going to be on your show, chief executive wow. officer and the creator of Pedigo Electric Bikes. I believe they're the I'm largest to talk to largest electric bike manufacturer in the mm-hmm. or, or dealer, whatever, company uh, in the world. And they're based here in Orange County. And he's been on a couple of our shows and would love to come on and talk about because he's got some really ideas about how bikes, how, how transportation is changing and bikes in particular um, have evolved and changed. So, uh, all right. Let's. So again, I think this is still. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm still the the kid of my Detroit days. But I think cars and transportation are still a big deal. More, even more so for Americans than for anybody else. I, it's the mythology of freedom. It's the mythology of the open road. It's sure. the it's yeah. the mythology of power and personal empowerment and and. All that talk about that is that still do we still feel that in our veins or am I just an old guy mythologizing no, about the old West American dream? You yeah. know, it's really a part of the American dream that you can own a car. I mean, Route 66 is so ingrained in our culture, especially in the West Coast in California. That's why so many of the car studios moved out here. But you know, I think the I think people's desires and needs those typically don't change drastically as much as the way that we meet them. So, yeah, as we as we sort of are on this cutting edge of this autonomous driving uh, technology, you know, for a while it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be very sort of messy as it gets integrated, and you're going to hear a lot of, like, I don't want them to take my steering wheel. But that's not really what's happening, is right? It's like the idea of commuting uh, and sitting for a long duration and just rush hour traffic, that will go away, and that will be handled by the AI. But I, I think for a long time to come, the idea of driving an, of a car, of one that you have perception of control of, that's, we can discuss what perception of control is more deeply, but like the idea that you get to feel the steering wheel in your hand. We're going to get that esoteric here. What is control? Who is in control? Are we in control of anything these days here? Well, think about this. Okay, so people that will often say, you know, I never drive it an autonomous car. They already have one. I mean, ABS is an autonomous system. It's impossible for a human yeah, being yeah. to put on the brakes and pulsate them as quickly as an ABS system. At that point, uh, once you put on the brakes, you're just a director of operations. You're telling the car, I need to stop and I need to stop right now. And the car itself is the one doing the stopping. There's no mechanical connection between you and the brakes. Yeah, And so right. that's, that, that is, so right there. And shifting. We, we did that. I mean, I was of that generation where we went from shift, having to shift ourselves to automatic transmission. <laughs> I was in a car the other day that had a manual transmission, and I forgot to put in the clutch. And the damn car put the clutch in for me. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's the, behind the, who's the man behind the curtain here doing yeah. the work? Who's in this? control no, after all here? It's just placating me now. Yeah, yeah it's so. pretending that I'm in control here. And, then, <laughs> and, and my wife was a big fan of, she gave hers up reluctantly. She finally gave up because it was almost impossible to find cars with a stick shift version. Uh, but she liked that. She said, you know, she could 
she had the fantasy that she was in control, that she could get better gas mileage and, and all this other thing. I said, oh, come on. that, that Those have been proven a long time ago. These computers can do it faster and better than we can here. Um, and, but it's also what I don't – I don't even think it's really about – I mean, that's what people tell themselves it's about. Yeah. Sometimes they'll rationalize it. But it's really about the feeling. You know, I, I, the feeling, even yes. Though I work on cars for the next 10, 20 years. I still drive. I drive a, a Fiat 500, a Bart, that has a five-speed manual with a mechanical, you know, See, and you're I, another and one of those like crazy it. ones. Yeah, and nothing, it doesn't have anything to do with the performance of the vehicle, although I love how fast it is. But it's it's that feeling of shifting. It just it just gives me such a nice feeling of satisfaction. And the and sound, like, yeah, yeah. And you know, and I drive different in that car than like in some of my vintage, you know, '80s Japanese cars where you sort of like hold on with two two fingers to the steering wheel and like one pinky up. But you know, <laughs> the Fiat, the Fiat, I'm like weaving in. I'm like, who is this guy? I'm weaving in and out of traffic like yeah. in a hurry to go to the same place that I, I never really need to get to that quickly. <laughs> well, and I used to tell her all the time, she'd say, you know, but you have more control over the vehicle. I said, why don't we go back to the days when we had to do hand cranks, The uh, there wasn't a battery, and you had to jump the, the spark yourself here, you know. you want, uh, How, much, but, how yeah. much do you want to uh, be in control? How much do you want to initiate on all this stuff here? But I would, I would ask her to, to extrapolate on that, that feeling of, be in control. I think when you when people say those words, "be in control," they're really talking about a feeling. They're talking about a feeling in Probably. your stomach, or a feeling in your hands, or a, a visceral emotional reaction. And and those are the words we use to describe those. You know, when, like when people say, "I bought my car for the fuel economy," or they they, they rationalize it. What they're really talking about is a, is an emotion that's that's sort of hidden underneath these like logical terms we'll use, because. You know, do we really have control of a car with ABS and, 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 and um, you know, traction control and every other system that's sort of waiting and they're ready to take over for us? Not really. It's all there ready, but, but it's that feeling. It's that yeah. feeling that makes you feel that visceral fun. I love driving. That is so important to driving. And I, you know, I think certainly designers like me, I, I want to I protect that and keep that going into the future as the sort of rideshare commuting autonomous driving sort of takes over. That's going to be part two. I'm going to question whether or not we're going to have that same feeling for our vehicles, that same that same anthropomorphic, uh, is that the right word, where we they feel like they're human they're, or they're an extension of us, if it's just a box, a robot that picks it up. But we'll t- keep that for the second part. Let me talk. All right, so let me get, let me get from <laughs> out there, let's get some, for us car guys out there, let's get some emotion Let's get some. Let's let's announce some sad passings. You know how, like at the Academy Awards, they announce everybody who died this year. I want to announce some uh, things that died this year in transportation. One of which, uh, my father's already passed away. He's already dead. But if he wasn't, he would have killed him. Uh, uh, which is the death of the passenger vehicle. The be- oh, you death. Mean the, the sedan. The sedan. The the yeah. two door, four door car that was the bread and butter of every manufacturer it was uh, every house had one and then they started chipping away it with these crossover utility vehicles fifth door uh tailgate stuff that sure started changing it yeah. feeling and stuff and finally was it fiat this year you finally threw in the towel i think ford as well said we quit we're not going to make them anymore well, you know, think about what driving is and what driving's been. Okay, so first we had horses and carriages, right? And those right. Are really more 
horn sedans. And then, you know, you evolve into sort of this uh, a horse and carriage with a trunk on the back. Mm. And that's what sort of begat the sedan look, right? This right. three box, you know, we call it three box, a hood, a cabin, and a trunk. And that evolved in the 40s to really those vehicles in the tw- uh, 30s and 40s that everybody drove those were those were the modern day SUVs if you think about it they were they were proportionally crossovers because they had big how, how big, so i don't know you lost me on that one here okay silhouette the oh silhouette. the look of it okay yeah with well, the the actual package that people sat in right. it's very similar to a modern day you know ford escape or explorer or you know Fiat because what they had that kind of bubble that kind of raised roof kind of look to them here they weren't low and sleek they were Tall and 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 they were and they were designed for roads that were not finished like today's roads, right? So they really had to be living sort of as an urban, urban, you know, off-road vehicle. Yeah. But and then so people forget that the Model T part of its popularity certainly was the price. But the other thing is that it could it could go through ruts and still can. I've seen people drive these things over you know giant ruts and holes and everything because there were dirt roads that had Mm -hmm. that weren't uh, smoothed and paved. Uh, so it yeah. had to be uh, with the giant balloon tires. As, yeah, as those roads sort of evolved and, and cleaned up, you know, you've got cars that were lower slung and, and had, you know, the long, you know, getting to the fifties with the jet age and the, you know, the space age and, and being yes. fired by rocket ships. Everything's low and slung, uh, slung low and got these wide proportions and stuff. And big fins. But, Come on, don't forget the big fins. I loved all that. But then. What came out of that? The station wagon, right? So, yeah. bam, that need is... So, the need, if you look at the history of Cartesian, the need kind of doesn't change. People need to move people and move their stuff. Right. So, like, the, the you know, as the 60s came in, you know, or, you know, even in the 50s, 60s, the family station wagon came, right? Well, yep. the family station wagon was, you know, the great Route 66, go camping, be it, you know, go on trips with your, with your loved ones, bench seats, you can put your arm around your wife, you know, it's very family-oriented, right. until the station wagon became passe, and then... And kids, you could put, you because you had three rows now, you could, you, you, that trunk went away, and we could sit in the trunk, basically, you could, that, you could store face stuff backwards. in it, or you could face backwards and sit in the trunk. Oh my god, how many memories, I remember right I love that. Hands, Chevrolet... Uh, was it a Caprice uh, wagon, uh, Impala maybe lower model? And we, you know, just how many kids doesn't have? How many kids have that memory of fighting with each other and like then making faces at the car behind you and yes. throwing things out the window? Right. Because ours had like a roll down window, you could throw stuff at people. Yeah. Terrible. And get them to honk but, um, or something, and get them make say, yeah. like honk or anything. Yeah. Or try to get them to like swerve, which is what we were trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> you terrorists. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, but so, but then the the wagon. If you will, uh, went away. lost its cachet, and then what came out in '84, Chrysler's minivan. Yeah, same thing, but now it's in a compact minivan, but it's a place to put your stuff and things. Minivan, but the door slid in. open instead of uh, flung open. They they, right. they were giant, and they were easier to put. You could put more stuff in it. It was a big box, and it was so well engineered, so well designed. I'll say designed first and then engineered that you could stow it under and over and around and they'd show you the endless configurations, remove the seats and do all sorts of stuff. It was the first utility vehicle that was created. Yeah, and so that that innovation gave it a cutting edge feeling. And what was out of style at that moment? The station wagon. Oh. Nobody wants to be seen in the station wagon. Nobody. Right? And then and then same thing happened to the minivan. 
the minivan goes along, it becomes the it's a cutting edge. You know, when Chrysler came out with the eighty with the Voyager and the, the Caravan, you know, it was a big deal until everybody had one and everybody's mom drove one, right. and everybody associated that with you know uh, not cool, not cool, right, right. And then what came out? The SUV, yeah. which is the same thing. It's just now it's now we're going back to the forties. It's an off. It's a tall vehicle uh, with with large tires, but you're still moving people and their stuff, and then. The SUV was replaced by the crossover. Yeah, which is <laughs> so just. We, but if you look at it, all, all the history of it, it's all the same thing. It's just different proportions of the same thing. But what has but disappeared now, is the passenger, the old passenger four seat car, two in the front, two in the back, and mm-hmm. uh, two rows, and mom and dad in the front, kids in the back, or, or whatever. Everybody had to have a. It was a car strictly for passengers. You might try and stuff things in the trunk. You might try and stick more people in it. But it was there to move passengers around. It wasn't a truck, and it wasn't a uh, catch-all that had all these other things to it. Why did my, my dad? To the, my dad died about six years ago. Uh, he could never understand the, the appeal of trucks, minivans and later SUVs. He just couldn't get that. Right. Well, that makes sense because of the generational association that we have with those things, you know, and just like... And at the upper you know, end, you still have... The, it's, it's Keep in mind, it's only the passenger vehicle from the midsize down that disappeared. There's no demise of the Mercedes-Benz and the... Uh, 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 BMWs yeah, and... Tesla's, you could argue that Tesla's a hatchback. But, but so, so the... The interesting thing with that is that the the sedan actually didn't go away. It, it, you know, if you think about what the sedan was, was a was a uh, a ladder frame chassis with a body on it that was essentially a truck. A ladder right? frame because it the, literally looked like a ladder when it did before it had the body right. on it. Right. So when you have you know, in automotive, there's you know there's a ladder frame and then there's a unibody and then there's space frame. But we don't need to go into all this. Basically, okay. ladder frame is a frame. It's like a it's like a cake with a with a with a body on top of it, right? Right. You know, that that's the body, and the body comes off, and it's not it's not part of the structure. Right. But what what stayed in the market that be that that swallowed up the sedan? It's not the crossover. It's not the SUV. It's the American truck. Yes. So, so we that, still have sedans. The the cabin got bigger. Yeah. And the bed got smaller. So if you really look at a modern day Ford F one fifty or Chevy truck. Uh, you know, Dodge. I mean, even Ram. You know, I mean, heck, I, I, the, the, yeah, the Nissan Titan was the first vehicle I worked on when I was uh, when I got out of college. We made that cabin so big that the A pillars were almost touched down at the wheels. And if you think, if you really think about it, that's the modern day American sedan. Hmm. Um, all of the creature comforts that started to appear in the truck. The 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 trunk is just basically the bed. It's, right. it's, the proportions are all there. So I would argue that this, the American sedan is still alive and well. It just looks like a truck now. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> you say that. So yeah, I've never thought about that. You're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back and think about it. Because, but you're right. I mean, it's the inside of the truck is there. The truck was designed to to carry heavy stuff, and there's some appeal. But 99 percent of the people I know that have a truck don't carry anything but themselves. It it is in that sense much more of a passenger vehicle than it is uh, no. hauling stuff. Yeah, you use it. 
I know. I just got a truck. I just got a Nissan Hardbody from 1988, and it's like I, I had to have it because it was designed by uh, my well, the guys we were talking about last week, Jerry Hirschberg and Tom yeah. Temple and all those guys, and really great, talented trucks. And, and guys, and that that truck is so beautiful. I just I had to have it. Now I'm like riding around. I'm like, oh, I'm a truck guy. Oh. <laughs> when did this happen? I've designed trucks, but I don't. I didn't ever really think I'd ever own one. So truck guys are just the modern equivalent of the sedan. I've never thought of <laughs> interesting idea. Okay, so that I'm not going to cry too much for the demise of the sedan. It lives on in uh, today's truck. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you can even have your bench seat in a, in a truck. So yeah. All right. So that was one. The demise of the passenger vehicle, but you're saying it just evolved into something else. The trucks. Uh, the minivan turned into the SUV, turned into the crossover, this multi-purpose, multi-utility, uh, five-door thing. Will we ever see more than five doors or, or less than five to three doors, two no, doors? I think, you know, as we get into the future where, you know... Will the whole lid just pop up and we'll step into it like some of those futuristic cars, the whole body flips up and you sit down in it or... I would say I would direct people. To, I would say look at the history of horse and buggy, yeah. and imagine the the horseless carriage still being a horseless carriage, but now that the horse now the horse has it will become the artificial intelligence. Right. So these kind of upright proportions of the carriages, are like well, if you think of like the Wells Fargo stagecoach kind right. of thing, that's there's some hints about the future in those uh, big wheels. Something you can stand in, uh, something you can walk right in. Something you can stand in. I never thought of it. So this isn't the uh, the uh, transportation doesn't have to be on your butt. You might lay in it. You might uh, stand in it. You might do other things well, than just I think sit the in it. People in the future will look when they get into vehicles that have this sort of carriage seating and tall space. If they got into a, a modern day, say like S class Mercedes, and had right. to crane their neck the way you do to get in that back seat, <laughs> yeah, they will say like. They, why? They, why would they have people? Why were people accepting this odd contortionist position you have to get into to get into a car? And it's because we we normalize what we feel comfortable with, what becomes fashionable. Yeah. But we do normalize something. You know, even I have an '85 Celica uh, GTS convertible, and when I get in that car, I have to sit down. And it, and it feels so strange to me because no car you sit down, even my little Fiat, my modern one, you slide right in the, you know, the H point, which is your yeah. H point, slides right into the seat. Whereas that Celica, I, it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe everybody used to just fall into their car. It's so <laughs> hard to get out of it. Yeah. So it could be that I'm, you know, 45 now. So it's Yeah, hard. well, and, and they had kind of a bucket. The, I, I'm old enough to remember the uh, step-down designs of Packards and those things where you step down. You step mm-hmm. over a thing and then down into it. It had a, it. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> felt like a bucket, right? It felt like a well. All right, so yeah. we, we've we've talked about that a little bit. Now, here's the one that I'm, and this is going to lead us into the next discussion. So we'll, we'll end this first half with, we cried okay. about, I cried about the uh, passenger vehicle, Don't but you cheered me up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, we talked about uh, the, how we're just left with trucks and uh, SUVs or whatever they're called now. Um, and the question I have is colors and shapes. Why have we gotten so unimaginative and colors and shapes? My wife and I were laughing about this the other day. You got me thinking about this stuff now. We're driving down the road, and it seems like all the cars are white, black, 
or some kind of gray silver, whatever. With grage. a grayish, co- we like to call it grayish. With a handful of red just to stand out. No pinks, yeah. no purples, no <laughs> greens anymore. Blues hardly any. All of that stuff's gone. Brown, you know. Well, we need we need Brenda Parkin back, our guest that we had earlier, the Nissan uh, color material designer for Nissan for all those years. Who did Xterra yellow and really pushed yeah. things like shock shock blue on on Xterra, which no, people don't remember shock blue, but they remember yellow Xterra. Shock blue was like a Smurf blue, but it was a secondary color for Xterra. She really pushed hard for colors. And, you know, I think two 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 answers to that of why why do we go to grayish? Well, you know, grayish is basically somewhere some nebulous place between tan and gray, right? With right. metallic thrown in to make it fancy. Right. But why are we there? And you know, and there's a lot of different answers to that question. But the biggest one I think is the one that's about to change, which is people lease vehicles or they buy them for a shorter amount of times than they used to and they're always and they're thinking so much more about resale value mm. how can i move this car once i get out of this lease uh are, you know like the dealer how can i sell this car once this person's out of the lease so they'll order cars that are more like that people who are buying cars will buy them for a lesser amount of time and so they'll they'll want they'll, they'll want to be able to get rid of it right so they're not thinking about their personal preference they're thinking about sort of a market blandness that doesn't offend anybody but but that's However, the opposite of what's happened in our culture we've gone from three channels to three million cable channels to three zillion YouTube channels. You know, we've gone from radio, which had top 20, (laughs) top 40, to uh, Pandora with endless, uh, or Spotify, endless choices. Endless choices is the modern mantra, and yet in cars we've gone back to, you can have any color you want as long as it's black, Henry Ford's day. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, the, in some ways, the car industry leaves, and in some ways, you can, uh, it, it takes its cues from other industries a few years behind. But what I would say is that that you hit it right on the head. Endless choice is definitely something I see coming back into this industry. And when I say, and more than choice, uh, you know, whereas, whereas choice is, let's say, uh, customization. I mean, you can customize your 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 news feed, right. but. A real endless choice is personalization. Personalization is different than customization. Customization is selecting from a menu. Personalization is you're the only one that has it. Ah, it's I like yours. that. I like that. And I think with all of these manufacturing techniques that are coming into the norm, everything from 3D printing to, you know, major sophisticated, uh, you know, I won't go into it because it's like it's like a downfall of like processes, but like every manufacturing technique that is going to make it possible for low run num- uh, small numbers production to be profitable is going to mean that people will be able to imagine and personalize their own vehicle or their own ride experience if you can imagine that so go beyond color go into smart skins or smart glass where the color or the content on the car changes itself so you could see uh, you can imagine a car driving down the road with graphics changing all the time sort of like those tintable yeah. glasses you go out in the sun and they tint for you or something and then they go back yeah, but to imagine with with actual live graphics in them like your like your computer monitor you're blowing my mind through. here yeah, like, you know, think very minority before. That, that stuff is becoming, you know, very, very near future. Um, and they, I think the biggest, and this idea of commitment, which is what's, what causes people to make conservative choices, that sort of disappears when you can change the vehicle like a chameleon for the ride you're about to get in. Yeah. You know, so let's say that you're, you're, you're just not. Just that ride today. I want to be purple and pink and wild, and I want to flames on the side here. Yeah. Yeah, or, and you, and you may not even make. This choice, uh, consciously, it may be a reaction uh, to your mood, like a mood. Those old yeah. mood rings of the '70s or '80s or something. Huh? Yeah, you know, anticipatory vehicles, vehicle. And if you think about like vehicles, anticipatory that, uh, vehicle, how would you like to feel today, Brian? 
yeah, but less creepy. More like, <laughs> more, um, like in the way that when you do put on a shirt in the morning, you sort of it's something that you feel. Uh-huh. Um, the car that sort of creates an ambient temperature and an experience for you uh, that you can correct. Uh, I, I think that the, the the vision of the future where the car is doing a lot of talking and like harping at you, like like in the sort of '80s version of the future where the coolest thing was like a Datsun Maxima that said like left door is open. Yeah, it's less that, and it's more about creating um, uh, you know the right temperature, the right fragrance, the right color light that you like, wow. and, and it, but but very naturally, uh, yeah, less of the sort of mechanical like that creeps me out. You know, they, there's a thing they call. The Uncanny Valley, which we could spend a whole show on. Uncanny Valley is that space. We should do that, yeah. Yeah, it's that space real quick. It's that space between a real live object and a, and a, and a computer. Uh, and, if, and at some point, the computer gets a little closer to becoming alive and human to the point where we anthropomorphize it, like a car that we give a name to or, or um, you know, any sort of, like, Pet, yeah, uh, object that we love and we name, we imbue it with a with a, with a like Knight Rider and Kit, yeah, yeah. Well, and Kit really approached uh, Uncanny Valley. So Uncanny Valley is that moment of creepiness when it goes too far from us adding our own anthropomorphic values to it, to it coming at us with something that definitely does not feel a lot. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel human. It feels creepy. That's the, if, if you put it on a bell, like on a curve, that's the valley. For me, it so, started when they, when they force, when it would beep, if I didn't uh, connect my seatbelt here, you know, it would endlessly ding and like enough. And I'm arguing, <laughs> yeah. stop it already. All right. I'll put You're my seatbelt on. Yeah. Or, you know, like maybe some of the early Avatar movies. Avatar was amazing, right? But there are some of those moments, like, when the graphics weren't right and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel... that. That's that's the Uncanny Valley. When you look at it and you don't believe it, but it, there's something triggers in your mind to make you feel off versus um, something that just feels... Uh, natural, naturally alive. You, you you sort of welcome it and you accept it versus reject it, and that's the trick for a designer to sort of find his way, find their way in and out of that valley without creeping people out. <laughs> well, my way is to find a way out of this conversation without pissing people off here, because you're into something really cool. Let's stick around, folks, because we're going to do part two and we're going to get into this futuristic stuff of the. Uh, we're going to we're enter that creepy valley here and uh, walk into the future and see if we can. Creepy out even more here. Get out of it. (laughs) All right. You've been listening to a quick look back this year as we finish the first season of Driven by Design right here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.